Hi everyone, I'm Greg Lowe from Down Under in Australia. Cosmos Down Under is a production from SQL Down Under. Cosmos DB is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions and views expressed in the podcast are individual and don't necessarily reflect the opinions and views of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show three with guest Leonard Lovell. Leonard Lovell is a software engineer, architect, and consultant, and is the CTO of Sleek Technologies based in New York City. He began writing software in 1979 and has been a Microsoft Data Platform MVP for over 10 years and is certified in the Azure Cosmos DB specialty. He's authored several books and video courses and is a frequent speaker at local user groups as well as industry conferences in the US and abroad. So welcome, Lenny. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here with you. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, awesome. This actually. morning, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, morning for me. I don't have too mm. much work I need to do today, so that's a that's a really good start. So no, e- easing good. your way into the weekend. Yeah. Just, yeah. So listen, mm. we'll make a start with. Can you give us an idea? Like, how did you ever come to have an interest in Cosmos DB at all? Well, sure. Um, I mean, well, I've been like you mentioned in that wonderful introduction, doing this for a long time, started writing my first code in 1979, and it's always been um, about data, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I started back in the day when the stack was razor thin, and, and now we have such a thick stack yeah, and so many layers, but ultimately it always all, all boils down to data. So my... Uh, back in the days of DBase and Fox Pro is when I really got my first start. And I just kind of mm-hmm. built a few of my own homegrown database engines and fell in love with SQL like so many other people and relied on it heavily for such a long time, like so many other people have and still continue to for building um, serious enterprise scale applications, but for building mm. global scale applications of uh, Relational databases, just in terms of their architecture, they they can they they can fall short, and they do fall short when you're talking about planetary scale, in, in terms of distribution, in terms of throughput, in terms of latency, hmm. uh, and in terms of scale across volume, in terms of just the sheer volume of data that we're coping with, uh, and velocity, uh, in terms of throughput and how responsive we need to be to requests both for reads and for writes and variety uh, in terms of the rapidly evolving schemas and being able to be agile enough to cope with rapidly evolving schemas which is you know notoriously difficult to do when you've got an enforced mm. schema so those are the quote unquote three v's that to me define what no sequel means yeah. Uh, NoSQL to me certainly doesn't mean what it sounds like, uh, because in fact, in Cosmos DB, the primary API, and I guess I guess it's a good segue into our discussion about the mm. fact that there's more than one. The primary API is in fact called the SQL API, and this is a yeah. NoSQL database. So NoSQL doesn't mean no SQL; it means scaling uh, in the face of high volume, variety, and velocity. Almost the entire time I've been in the industry, I keep hearing how 
sequels going away and then it just keeps uh, being added to more and more and more products as, as time goes on. I, I uh, think there's, uh, yeah, it's, it's um, I've, been, I've been very pleased to have been involved in data for a long time anyway. It's uh, turned out to be a very good career choice. But Cosmos DB, they describe as a multi-model database. There aren't too many of those around. And so maybe we should start with hmm. what does that mean? Well, talking about multi-model, we're talking about a data model, right? We're talking about how do we model our data in the database, where traditionally, again, coming from a SQL background, that means looking at your data in a highly normalized way, uh, doing your best to eliminate data duplication and relying on the database to join things together for you, whereas NoSQL databases and, and certainly uh, in their, uh, from their earliest days, embraced a very different way of modeling your data, which has been typically in the form of a document model. And by document, I, I mean a, a, a piece of JSON, you know, mm. a JSON document, which of course could be as simple as a document that has a bunch of top level properties, which could be pivoted horizontally to look like a row in a table, but it's not limited to that, right? Any of the top level properties could not could be not just a scalar value, but they could be nested objects, nested arrays, where you embed things inside the array that you would normally never do in the relational yeah. world. Uh, and and that's one one very key differing differentiator. Mm. And Actually, then, of course. Arrays as a whole have been, always been a topical discussion in the relational side where the pure relational people would say there's no need for arrays. But I must admit, when I first moved from uh, Progress, we used to use in the 80s, uh, and it had arrays in the, in the database. It was one of the things I missed, actually, um, mm -hmm. coming across to SQL in the first place. And it's notable that even other relational engines like Postgres and things do have array data types. And so, yeah, it's always just been interesting. But since we've had... But when you do that, when you, when, you, when you embrace those arrays, you're deviating hmm. from the normalized relational Correct. Hmm. And so, yeah, no, it's, it's been an interesting thing there. The, uh, but in this case, yeah, it, there's no constraint really on the, on the shape of what you can store well, on the document. Well, I wouldn't go that far. So <laughs> the idea, you do have this notion in the relational world of joins between tables. So you have mm. one-to-ones, you have one-to-ones, very, and you have one-to-many. And there's really nothing in between. It's either one-to-one -one where you'll have a row in one table essentially extended in another table in a one-to-one -one relationship where you just elect mm to store those values in a separate table, but logically it's one row, physically it's two joined in a one-to-one, -one, or it's one-to-many, like customers to orders or orders to order details. And, it, and where many means more than one, even if it's just two. And in the NoSQL world, you have this kind of in-between. There's one-to-one, -one, there's one-to-many, and there's one-to-few. Hmm. So it, you're not gonna get unbounded arrays. It's, you certainly would not expect to be able to cram all of a customer's orders 
into a single JSON document that describes the customer and all their orders with all of their order details nested yeah. even further. Because you want those orders, ideally, to be unbounded, right? You, mm. you, you want an unbounded, you don't want a limit on the number of orders that a customer can place. But an order, well, you know, you could reasonably cap the number of details that it needs, or a customer could reasonably cap the number of addresses that you need to yeah. store for that customer. So in that sense, you will, you will at that point, since NoSQL databases by their very nature do not support joins across documents, and they don't support constraints that we're used to in the relational world, one way to overcome that limitation is simply to pre-join by embedding, mm. like if you embed that array, then the child, the children know they're already pre-joined. And then it becomes a matter of partitioning. But this, to kind of steer back to our primary topic of multi-model and what that means, we've been talking about the fact that a JSON document is a particular way of modeling your data that's very different than the relational world in A, not just scalar properties, but also embedded objects that might be represented as one-to-one -one in the relational world, or a one-to-few array that might be um, uh, modeled as a one-to-many relationship in the relational world, coupled by the fact that from one document to the next, the schema can vary without mm. any friction and without disruption, you know? Um, I mean, it sounds like a silver bullet, but of course you're gonna have to cope with those schema changes at, in, at some layer in your stack, but the database itself, in terms of the pain that is is normally involved in making schema changes in like SQL Server, especially across databases that are globally distributed um, and the downtime for maintenance that can be required, uh, the ability to just change the schema on the fly from one, one JSON document to the next in the same container, uh, adding new properties without having an enforced schema that you manage is, uh, is what a JSON document model is all about. So to bring it back to our discussion about multi-model, that means multiple models, but of those multiple models, the primary model, I mean, each of those, these models are exposed by a different API. Yeah. And the, the primary API is, is known as the SQL API, often referred to as the core API, and it exposes a JSON document model, as I've been describing, coupled with a SQL dialect that looks very familiar, but it's a custom tailored version of SQL designed for querying JSON documents, especially those embedded arrays as, as we've been discussing. So mm -hmm. before we start getting on to the other eight other models, let's just establish that the primary data model is a JSON data model exposed by the SQL API. And that gives you um, a SQL querying dialect over those documents. Yeah, that's great. Now, there's, I suppose, um, in terms of JSON storage, the probably the most common other one around in the industry at the moment still is probably Mongo. Correct. I would agree. Hmm. And yeah, so what's interesting, so that's a, a good segue into the, now we're talk, we'll talk about the alternative APIs that give you all alternative data models. And the first of those that we can talk about is the MongoDB API. And what's interesting is that this is a different API than the SQL API, you know, different than the core API, but the data model itself is the same, essentially JSON, technically something known as BSON, 
which is MongoDB's binary encoded version of JSON, but conceptually similar mm -hmm. from a data modeling perspective. You're still dealing with JSON documents, the one the with embed, potentially embedded objects, potentially embedded arrays for one to few relationships, but there's no SQL involved at all. And in fact, the, you know, when you use the core API, the SQL API for the JSON document model, you get a NuGet package that is the software development kit, the, the SDK written by Microsoft for the SQL API. But when you use the MongoDB API, the NuGet package that you use is, is third party, right? The NuGet package yeah. that you use is actually um, from MongoDB Inc. from the developer's perspective they're working with MongoDB. They're not working mm -hmm. with Cosmos DB. And the advantage, of course, is on the back end. The fact that you can treat it like MongoDB, but enjoy benefits that MongoDB can't offer on the back end, notably mm. the underlying global distribution, horizontal partitioning, limitless scale, and provision throughput capabilities that you get no matter what API you choose. Yeah. Because, and maybe I'm um, jumping the gun just a little bit, but no matter which API you choose, there is a, you know, a persistence layer that's the same for all of them, mm. which means that you get the core capabilities of global distribution, provision throughput, and limitless horizontal partitioning, no matter what API you choose. Yeah. In a way, you could say Cosmos DB doesn't really care which one you choose. Mm. So there was a discussion at one point where they were saying uh, there was almost like their aim was to out Mongo Mongo, <laughs> and so uh, do, do well, you, how far do one, you think they achieved say, that? Well, you know, I mean, when we start talking about the other AP, uh, other APIs, and you talk about Cassandra, it's the same concept. And you could be, it could be said that Microsoft is attempting to cast a wider net around the potential customers, like folks that are like they're married to MongoDB, and therefore they would never embrace Co Cosmos DB. Well, now, hey, guess what? There's a MongoDB API. So mm. you can, you can um, leverage all of your existing investment and work with all of your familiar tools and SDKs and, uh, and what, however it is that you work with MongoDB uh, and still use Cosmos DB. How yeah. complete do you think the implementation of MongoDB's API is? Well, I'll, I couldn't tell you uh, compared to native MongoDB. I do mm. believe it's fairly complete. But I can tell you from the perspective of Cosmos DB that, again, I, the appeal of this API is to leverage your in existing investment in MongoDB mm. or, to, or to perhaps migrate existing applications that were written for MongoDB without re-engineering them. But the SQL API is the most capable of all of them. Yeah. For instance, the SQL API is the only API that supports server-side transactional stored procedures, triggers, mm. and user-defined functions. So if you, if for a green field, I mean, let me start off by saying you probably want to go with the SQL API. If you're migrating an existing MongoDB application, then it should be trivial to just start using the MongoDB API, but um, you are not going to gain all the benefits of the, uh, of the full native Cosmos DB service that only the SQL API exposes and, and you know, Transactional yeah. stored procedures is just one of them. There are several others. Maybe is the argument is that it, even if it's not perfect, then the ease of migration uh, would be significantly different uh, to something else. And we're straight 
wire protocol 100% compatibility is a, is a tough thing to do. I, I look at the people trying to build Babelfish over the top of uh, PostgreSQL and they're trying to implement uh, T-SQL and basically a SQL Server interface. And while it's maybe a laudable aim, I look at the limitations and you just go, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a significant list of limitations. You know, like it, it basically ends up being another product that you're coding for. Yeah. And, and then you sort of wonder, well, if you're doing that, it's almost like, what's the point? Because well, mm-hmm. uh, you'd be better off coding for Postgres because then, it, then it act, you can use the whole uh, surface of, of what's been provided. And yeah, I don't know, the, the idea of an in-between language like that uh, that is a bit more like T-SQL. I'm, you know, if it was 90% of the way there, I kind of get it. But at the moment, it feels like about 40 or 50%. And, and that, that's questionable. And so that's well, why I was sort I of intrigued that. with the Mongo one. Yeah. yeah. And so I think, I think you can give the MongoDB API a bit more credit than that. Uh, yeah. Uh, next to the SQL API, it is the most popular API used uh, by, uh, by Cosmos DB customers. Mm. So I think the surface area is quite well supported for compatibility with existing MongoDB applications. Mm. Hi, this is Greg coming to you from another time and place. If you have a data-related project that needs to get off to a great start with the right architecture, or if you have an existing project that's off the rails, why not contact us? We help organizations of all sizes, from startups to tier one financials, and we can help you too. Check us out at sqldownunder.com. You mentioned yeah. Cassandra in there as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's so, the same concept, same mm-hmm. concept. Uh, it's wire level compatibility. Uh, in terms of the software development kit, when you are building for the Cassandra API in Cosmos DB, that NuGet package is third party by data stacks. Um, it's the same NuGet package you would use to talk to native Cassandra. Um, why, the reasons for embracing that API would be the same as for embracing the MongoDB API. You have an existing investment in Cassandra. You have existing Cassandra applications that you want to migrate. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to enjoy the benefits that Cosmos DB offers on the back end in terms of global distribution, throughput, and partitioning with Cassandra. I don't and know I much about Cassandra. Should, yeah. We should mention, yeah, Cassandra being a columnar. Uh, yeah, it's co- well. co- column there, which which just basically means that in a departure from most other NoSQL uh, models, there actually is a, a defined schema. There's actually a create mm. table statement where you actually do define the columns. Uh, but again, you know, all of these APIs expose a data. So this is a different data model than JSON. Yep. It's columnar. It's got a schema, but under the covers it's still keys and values, right? Hmm. So a JSON document itself is nothing more than a set of keys and values. So whether you're using a JSON or BSON with the SQL API or the MongoDB API or a columnar with the Cassandra API, ultimately your entities are being stored in turn under the covers as key value pairs in a format hmm. called ARS, Atom Record Sequence. So when you're looking at a JSON document coming out of the SQL API, the way it looks with the curly braces and the angle brackets, that's not the way it's persisted. It's yeah. persisted as a key, right, in a consistent manner across all APIs. So that's mm. the Cassandra API, and that leaves two more to discuss. So I suppose, well, there is just a straight key value 
table API as well. That's the table API again. And in this particular case, it, the emulation is not with a third party platform, but it's with Microsoft's mm. original Azure table storage service that's yeah. been around since the beginning of Azure back in the days when it was called Windows Azure. The yeah, very first NoSQL service. It's, it's mm. an area in storage accounts. People don't seem to realize that uh, it's storage still accounts have options, yeah, as well as blobs. Yeah. I mean, we but, can store but that, tables but, and queues. Yeah, is another but you don't storage. get you don't get SLAs. You don't get SLAs yeah. level agreements. You don't get provision throughput. You don't get guarantees. Uh, you don't get secondary indexing. Mm. Uh, so if your value itself is a JSON blob, you can't query on any of those properties efficiently. And so with the table API, you can emulate that service using Cosmos DB on the back end and enjoy the benefits, again, of provision throughput, guaranteed performance, low latency, global distribution, and secondary indexing, all of which you don't get with the normal table, table yeah. Azure table service. Having said that, like, like you mentioned for this, in that, that exists in the storage accounts, but again, you would never start a green field and choose that API. You yeah. would just migrate an existing table because if you're just interested in a key value store, you're still better off with a SQL API, which can be used as a key value store. If you partition on the ID property, then the SQL API gives you a key value store. Basically becomes a key value store. Yeah. Exactly. Because you get one document per logical partition that you, and you're doing single point reads and writes. Mm. And look, the final uh, one that is an interesting one, of course, is the graph API. Fascinating. Gremlin is a fat, the, the graph API to me is the most interesting of the alternative APIs. So again, you're starting from a green field. You don't go with MongoDB unless you want to leverage your existing investment in MongoDB. You mm. don't go with the table API because you're not migrating an existing application and you don't go with Cassandra for the same reason. But you might still go with the Gremlin API, which gives you a graph data model. And that's because it, it, it does something very unique. You know, it, it, implements a graph data model where relationships between entities themselves exist as first-class citizens. And if you stop to think about a, a, a two rows in a table, one related to another, all you have are two entities. You have the parent entity and you have the child entity, and that's all you have. What binds them is the fact that the primary key value in one row matches the foreign key value in the other row. And that's what kind of binds them. But you really only have two rows. In a graph database, you have the two entities plus the relationship itself exists independently. The relationship between the entities are not embedded as primary and foreign keys in the related in the uh, respective entities, but rather as a, 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 an independent relationship object that says that this entity relates to that entity. And so you actually get the ability to have these kind of like joins and discovery of complex nested relationships that you don't get with the SQL API. And also what's most interesting is that under the covers, the entities and relationships, which they call vertices and edges, they're just fancy names for what are yeah. essentially entities and relationships. They themselves are persisted as JSON documents in a format known as GraphSOM. So in a, in a deviation from the way all the other APIs work, there is interoperability between the Gremlin API and the SQL API. Mm. So you can, and, and that's an unusual. Uh, so you can actually have, create a Gremlin account and have a graph database. But if you want to, you can use the SQL API against it to manipulate 
your vertices and edges and not lose any of the benefits of the SQL API for yeah. store procedures and so on. So it's a really interesting option if in your particular scenario, your application places more of an emphasis on relationships than it does on entities. Yeah, it's an interesting thing with the multi-model in that uh, imagine the initial thinking is that you could store the data and using any of the APIs, but query using any of the other APIs, but it's not yeah. quite like that. So, yeah, I mean, in theory, it should be supported because like I said, under the covers, it's stored in this format called ARS, which is a generic key value persistence layer that transcends whichever API or data model you choose. So in theory, you ought to be able to uh, mix and match the APIs in a single account. But in practice, there's an impedance mismatch. So imagine a row in the table API could easily be projected as a JSON document with only scalar properties, but the reverse, could you couldn't do the reverse. If you had a JSON document with complex objects, not just scalar properties, you can't really project that as a row in the table API. So it's this impedance mismatch that's kind of preventing it. And also the fact that really you wouldn't ever want to do that or need to do that. You're going to pick the API and the data model that makes the most sense for your application and you're going to run with it and you're going to stick with it. And you're not really going to need interoperability with the other yeah. APIs on a single account. Indeed. And so look, the Graph API too, we should mention specifically, is an implementation of the Gremlin API uh, that uh, yeah, technically they, the... call, they call it the, They call it the Gremlin API for a graph yeah. data model. Yeah, and Apache it came Tinkerbell. out of the Apache Tinkerbell project, mm -hmm. yeah, which is an open source project. And uh, in SQL Server, they they did a a partial implementation of that. And I must admit, uh, when when I've been trying that, I've I've actually thought it was very very limited in in how that was done in SQL Server. Um, well, the first implementation it, was yeah, <laughs> yeah. It didn't support it didn't support recursive queries. But mm -hmm. now they do support, they, they, they've addressed some of those limitations. It was introduced in 2017 and it had limitations that really prevented its use. But again, you know, if, if you're going to do exclusively graph, I wouldn't rely on SQL Server with its graph capabilities. Yeah. But if you need a little bit of graph in your otherwise non-graph database, then it's wonderful to have those abilities at your disposal. Mm. Yeah, I think what I always look at with new features like that added into SQL Server, I always think, is there some way I could have done that without that feature you know, in, in the existing thing? And when I look at what's implemented there, there there's not much there that I couldn't have done directly in well, SQL again, previously. Again, yeah. again, I think they, they, they improved that situation in 2019. So hmm. like a social network scenario where find my friends and uh, all of their friends and all of their friends, like five friends, no, no matter how many levels there are, um, that is much more difficult to do with a relational model than it is mm. with what they call nodes and edges in SQL Server's graph implementation. So yeah, there I, are, I think there the, are having that, to have that, table types is, is one of the challenges, I think, with when you put it into a relational database. I mean, so so for example, in the T-SQL language, it's very hard to have a thing where I like people and I like restaurants. Yeah, there, there's that sort of polymorphism thing is problematic. You know, if you say, tell yes, me the I, things I, I like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the things that your friends like. You yeah. Know, things like recommend, recommendation engines, um, you know, um, 
social networking, uh, uh, dating services, you name it, mm. you know, finding common interests, you know, just with a, with the emphasis is more on relationships. Yeah. Um, I've always I have thought a one of the things that, yeah. Oh, you have a course that covers that. Yeah. I have a Pluralsight course that covers primarily the SQL API, but there is a module on the Gremlin API because it, it is unique. Hmm. No, that's good. Yeah. Now I've always thought that one of the things that, uh, us, the SQL Server engine could benefit from is something that's more able to deal with, uh, for example, inheritance in some way in uh, in the language, so that you know I could write a I don't know a function that deals with animals and pass a cat to it, you know, or a dog. So now you're talking. Something. Now you're talking yeah. about either the the old object oriented databases like Cache, mm. uh, and or uh, object relational mappers like Entity Framework or in Hibernate. Uh, that can do table per type, table per hierarchy mappings of, mm. of inheritance. But one of the nice things about going with NoSQL is, you know, the, that ORM layer can you yeah. can do away with it altogether. Mm. You know, you can just store ob, store your JSON documents in the database as serialized representations of your business objects in your application, and just do away with the ORM layer altogether. And that's mm. another compelling appeal to a JSON data model with the SQL API. Yeah. So listen, that's bringing us pretty much up to time, Lenny. So uh, look, yeah, is there anywhere people will see you upcoming or hear from you? Or yeah, actually, I'm really glad that we're finally having some in real life appearances mm. and conferences. So next month, I'm going to be in Stockholm talking about how to build event-driven microservices with the Azure I'd Cosmos DB change to, feed. Yeah, love going to Stockholm. Have you been there before? I have. I have. It mm. takes you, a little while getting used to the fact that it's only dark for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> a, that, that, actually, my favorite thing in Stockholm, I'd have to say, is the Vasa. I'm not sure if you've Come to look at that. If uh, only there once, and it's really lovely. And then the following week in Belgium for Techorama to talk well, about more Cosmos DB. If you get a chance to have a look at the Vasa, go and have a look. It's a uh, the Vasa, uh, the Vasa, V A S A. It's a uh, okay. Uh, basically, it's the largest wooden warship that they ever built in Sweden and it in mm. Stockholm, and it didn't make it out of the harbor. Um, it, it sank before it got out of the home. Oh, no. uh, yeah. Oh. And, but the beautiful okay. thing is it sat down there in the cold, uh, pure water for hundreds of years and they pulled it back up, uh, you know, a, a couple of decades ago and they put it in a, a humid, a humidity controlled and whatever yeah. building to, to, it, yeah, it, it is must the, have been all waterlogged. It is, it, yeah. But it is one of the most remarkable things you'd ever see. Because those sort of warships and things like that, that just doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. Um, oh, and wow. uh, and the, the Vasa, yeah. So if you get there, shout out to the people in Stockholm who listen to this. I might just do that. It is, it is completely awesome. Days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for the travel tip, Greg. <laughs> oh, I'm looking at totally it awesome. right now and it does look very, very awesome indeed. And also now you mentioned uh, you also had a course on Pluralsight too. So what's that yeah, called? Yeah, there is. I have a, yeah, it's called Learning Azure Cosmos DB. I just mm -hmm. refreshed it very recently. So it's completely up to date with the latest security features, uh, which have been added like Active Directory integration yep. and always encrypted client-side encryption mm -hmm. with the S.NET SDK. 
Uh, and so definitely check that out. It's a long course, but it'll tell, it'll get you up to speed in about seven hours. And you also uh, passed the beta exam, the certification exam. I'm we should mention to, there's glad a, to say that I did. Yeah, <laughs> so did I. Uh, so I was happy. Oh, with that congratulations! One. Yeah, it, I thought uh, it was grueling. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. It, it was actually quite a bit harder than I was imagining it might have been. And had a, I can't say much, but it, it had a, I thought, a different slant to it or bias to it than uh, any of the materials they had for prep for it. No and doubt. So, yeah. There, are, <laughs> there so, are flaws in that exam. That's why it's a beta. But there, there are definitely mm, flaws in that exam. But, yeah, it's one I'm, I'm glad to have done and uh, out of the way. So that's the DP420 exam mm-hmm. for anyone who wants to have a look at that. So, yep, congrats on doing that too. So, listen, same Thank to you. you. Congratulations for mm. passing the exam. Thank you so very much for your time today, Len. Uh, it was a real pleasure joining you today, Greg. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.